always, Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, what's going on, man? Hey, not a lot. We have our sexy morning voices on, I can tell, though, because it's early Saturday morning. <laughs> it is. I haven't had a chance to really get up and, you know, clear all that uh, standing junk from my throat yet. So, you well, know. Well, I realize it doesn't matter how long you've been awake. If you haven't spoken to anybody <laughs> in, in an hour or two, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is definitely true. I am not a, uh, I'm not one to get up in the morning and start talking and singing. In fact, a few years ago, Joy and I were working a summer camp program together and we had, you know, we were both waking up at like 5.15 so that we could get to uh, our job. And, uh, you know, we, we would literally sit for 40 minutes to an hour in the car driving, not saying a word to one another, not because we were mad at one another, but because we just both knew it was morning and don't talk to me right now. (laughs) Right. Too good. Too good. Well, we are super excited about this one. Uh, Nathan, you and I have uh, for a number of years now, every time uh, around the fall, we've been doing a fall TV episode. And so we were talking about it and we figured this would be a good place to put that in there. Just uh, things that are already um, out, some things that have already released. Um, actually, one one that I'm going to talk about that I'm looking forward to um, seeing, and you may actually have seen this one already, Nathan, um, was released on September 3rd. And so uh, I'm interested to see, Nathan, what you are looking forward to. Um, and then I will give some of the some of the ones that I'm interested in seeing that are coming out or that are returning. You know, either they're new or they're returning. And then we want to hear from you all, uh, our listeners. So once you listen to this one, go ahead and jump on our discussion board post and let us know what you've been listening to or what you've been watching or what you're looking forward to watching this fall. So, um, Nathan, I'm going to go ahead and. Uh, let you uh, kick us off. Is there anything that's already started that you've been watching? Oh, man. So and it's funny, too, because this year's obviously, without mentioning it, is so different in terms of how television is running. Yes. And we're, most of what we'll be talking about, I'm sure, will be the streaming things that are either already started or have gone or that are coming up because most of it does tend to be streaming and I'm, you know, it feels like they're dropping a new thing every day. And of course, probably towards the end of this episode, we'll talk about like how we plan to go forward talking about the movies and things like that. Yeah. All four movies that'll probably release this year. Right. Um, and the couple that, that, that still have, uh, that, that actually have released, I know new mutants and tenant are out and I've seen that a couple of our listeners and listeners that are fan guys. have seen tenant. I still have not yet seen it. I was kind of hoping it would come to the drive in. Yeah. Even though the movie theaters have started to open up around us. But the, what that means is that TV shows have certainly kind of um, come into their own even more so, I think, than they were before. And, of course, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't really even talked about that have, that that's aired over the summer. And there are just a couple ones I wanted to mention there, in addition to the ones that just started up recently. Because... Um, because I think we didn't really talk too much. I mean, we covered shows like Picard and stuff like that earlier on in the summer, but there were a couple of things I just wanted to hit that we sort of come and gone. Uh, one of those being a TV show that I kind of promised to review. We just never got quite around to doing it um, on this podcast or on Man Galaxy. And that's the one that um, uh, Jared Hiller mentioned 
a while back, I think when we did our first Lord of the Rings kind of round table yeah. for yeah. Fellowship of the Rings, Jared had uh, shared a show with us that he thought uh, we would enjoy called Into the Night. And it's pl- it's a French kind of mystery thriller. Uh, I don't want to call it apocalyptic, but it kind of is. It's a little bit apocalyptic. It's on uh, Netflix and it's a there's a handful of episodes there. It is sort of the first season. I, I say first season. I don't know that there'll be more of the show, but he had recommended it, and uh, I got the chance to check it out in the summer, about midsummer, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I want to talk a couple minutes about that. That's a show that's out there that I think is probably kind of under the radar a little bit. It's really interesting. It takes a kind of trope we've probably seen before. Uh, that concept of you've got all these characters in one area and one sort of enclosed space. And while they're in this enclosed space, something has happened uh, kind of devastating to the rest of the world. And in this case, a bunch of people are just dropping dead. And initially we don't know why. The only thing that anybody seems to know is that uh, it's it's related to the sun coming up to daylight. And so you have this plane and a bunch of people on a passenger or a commercial passenger plane trying to in a sense keep out of the daylight to to outrun you know daylight and so you have that mechanism you have all these people mysteriously dying and then you have the microcosm of the people inside the plane and what's interesting about this show that i i appreciate is that it isn't really just a setup for what's the next crazy horrible thing that is going to happen in this sort of oncoming apocalypse meaning okay, some people died. And then in a movie like this, usually something, you know, the next thing is the aliens show up or the demons show up or whatever. You know, there's all there's always some sort of tiered escalation to the catastrophe because that's kind of what generates tension. Yeah. And what's interesting about Into the Night is that it doesn't really go much further once you establish the initial problem. Mm-hmm. This isn't a movie about compounding apocalypses or some slowly revealing Armageddon. It's really about the people inside this plane and how their paranoia, their prejudices, their their strengths and their faults sort of put them in in uh, interaction with one another. And of course, that's all drama. Sort of what uh, that's kind of what all drama does, right? Yeah. However, I think what's interesting about this is that they allow that mounting sense of uncertainty about how are we going to get through this bigger problem that becomes a catalyst for a lot of people to start unspooling all these feelings they've always had all these uncertainties all these angers all these resentments and so it's weird even though this show comes out in may was clearly made a while ago it starts to feel very timely because you have people sort of revealing their inner contents in a time when things are very precarious very uncertain and they don't really know what their next step is. So you're watching this show and you're kind of feeling like, oh, yeah, I get, I get where they're coming from. Here. Right. Maybe I wouldn't have as much a couple. Maybe this would have felt a lot more like fantasy a couple months ago. Right. I don't know if I buy every character event that happens in the show. There's a little bit of wonkiness, particularly towards the end, where I start to question where they're taking some of the characters. But I'd say that's relatively minor it's uh i don't want to overplay it too much you're not going to watch this and this is the greatest show i've ever seen but it is a pretty solid little thriller that's engaging and interesting and i would definitely watch more of it uh i would the the only downside is i do think at some point 
going to have to develop the world outside of the plane a little bit. But what's there is definitely worth seeing. And I just want to give another shout out to uh, Jared for recommending it because I, I did have a lot of fun with it. Nice. Um, and while we're on that, that topic too, Nathan, just to kind of, as we're rewinding, were there any other shows that you saw over this summer uh, that you'd like to talk about before we move into the stuff that's either premiering or about um, to come out? So uh, it was one that I actually had been watching recently that I had wanted to get into. It's it's not a new show by any means, but it's newly released on this streaming service, and that's Cobra Kai. Um, Nathan, you and I went out uh, back in July to the drive-in um, with our families and saw uh, The Jungle Book and The Karate Kid were both playing, and so... Um, you know, Joy had, uh, it had been years since Joy had seen, uh, the Karate Kid. She had not seen the Jungle Book. So we watched that and we had just been talking about it. And I was like, oh, the, you know, I, I forgot actually how pretty fun and good the Karate Kid was, um, because it had just been so long. Um, and so we were like, well, when you come back, let's watch, you know, Karate Kid two and three. And then, um, all of a sudden Cobra Kai shows up on Netflix and I'm like, Oh, this, this actually would be fun to go through. And I remember I had seen the first, um, three episodes when it had released on YouTube. Um, YouTube was doing a promotion where they were showing it for free. You didn't have to subscribe to their service. And so I had, you know, uh, watched them and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good, but I'm not going to get another streaming service. I already have too many. Um, and now they've just released it on Netflix. So I've actually been enjoying watching, um, watching that. I feel like, um, they do a good job at giving you a different perspective. Um, I don't, uh, think that, uh, the perspective they give you is truly accurate, particularly when you go back and watch the movies. Um, but I do think, you know, I do think, I do think it shows uh, a good job at, um, when things happen, that everybody does have a perspective um, on the situation that's going on and that, you know, the 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 one that we, you know, maybe call the hero isn't necessarily the hero um, and the one we call the villain isn't necessarily the villain. But I've I've liked so far the development of the characters and how they're they're pushing beyond like, oh, well, you know, this is the perspective that you got. Now, let's show you from the other perspective and and you get to see like, um, you know, from Johnny's eyes, uh, how Daniel's actually being portrayed. And I think, I think it does present things in a different light. Um, and it, it, and it causes you to think, um, I, I think they're doing a great job with integrating all of the, the younger characters into it and showing the progression of where they're going and how they're developing. Um, so yeah, that's actually that's one that um again not not necessarily new, but it's newly released on Netflix. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, I would definitely say check it out. Um the other one is the one that you turned us on to, Nathan, The Adventures of Merlin. And uh Joy and I saw that Netflix original Cursed and um which which was it was good. Um it wasn't fantastic, it was good. I feel like the the last uh, episode of the series uh, just brought everything um, home. I mean, it was it was just to me it was it was a great piece of 
um, this buildup that you had over this series and they just, they just nailed everything in that last episode. And so that's, what's really going to drive me into seeing the next season, but it is a darker series. Um, things are, things are taken far more, uh, seriously in this Arthurian legend and grittier. It's yeah. more violent. It, it, yeah. it has a, um, almost like a Braveheart kind of sensibility. Yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. It's not full Game of Thrones, but no, it's, no. And, it's and, a little grittier. Yeah. So. And, but, um, you know, Joy and I really do like the Arthurian legend and, and you and I were talking about this and you were like, well, why don't you check out the adventures of Merlin on Netflix? And so we've been watching that and we've been really enjoying that series. The character, I mean, first of all, I feel like, um, British actors just have so much more to offer and give, um, and so, you know, we've just been enjoying these character interactions between Merlin and Arthur. Um, you know, Merlin, uh, has a mentor Gaius. And so, you know, we've really been liking this show that we've seen so far and everything that's been pulled in and built in. I feel like they do a great job at developing the characters at, um, you know, characters that, you know, are going to be evil, but currently they're good. And so seeing their transition and how they transition, I feel like they do a good job with that. Uh, Joy and I were talking just the other day, um, you know, and you mentioned this, you were like, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like the Smallville of, of Arthur. And um, it actually, the, the creators got their inspiration from Smallville, which was uh kind of funny. But one thing that Joy was saying is, you know, Smallville just has such high um, drama. And I don't mean like drama in uh, a good way. I mean like teenage drama. Um, and, melodrama over the top. Yeah. Melodrama. Yeah. And so, it, you know, Joy's like, it's difficult for me to sit there and just watch one right after the other where, where this just seems to do a very good job at bringing in um, tense moments, bringing in awkward moments without going so far over the top. And so she's like, you know, I would really enjoy going back and rewatching this and, and like could binge rewatch it again. So um, really those are, those are the two main ones that we, um, you know, we've been enjoying and we've been watching um, over the summertime. Yeah, I just watched, uh, started watching Cobra Kai as well. I didn't see it when it originally released. Uh, similarly, like you, there's the issue of getting a new streaming service, and the fact too that at that point in time, it was the only like show that they had. And right? Like, is there really going to be a service here, or is this a is is this an effort with one show, and we'll see what happens with it? And that kind of, I think, more or less is how it turned out. Yeah. And so I, I'm, my understanding is that the next season of Cobra Kai, when it arrives, will actually be on Netflix. Nice. Uh, Netflix sort of has it now. And uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty certain that's the case. Um, I, I've enjoyed it so far. I Similar, that night we went to the drive and actually my kids were sort of uh, dead asleep by the end of the first movie, you know. And yeah. so we didn't hang around to watch Karate Kid. But when we went back home like later that weekend, we did watch it uh we haven't gone through the sequels yet well we want to it, i agree with you there it's a fun movie and you kind of it's fun to revisit it i hadn't seen it in years i think what becomes apparent at least to me pretty quickly watching the movie was first is like wow they beat daniel up a lot worse than i remember yeah and that that it was so that adds one element to the to 
the perspective of Cobra Kai. And the second element is that Daniel Russo himself is, I mean, he's very much like a kid in his mentality. He wants to be successful. He wants to be like the, the, the point of Karate Kid in a weird way, particularly in the 80s, is not that it's about, you know, learning to just sort of trust in who you are and have confidence in that. It's kind of like, no, here's how you can get all the things that the other kids have. Right. Get the guy's girlfriend. You can kick him in the head and all these things. And I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, mentality-wise, some people will, oh, it's an ambi-pambi. But in reality, it's sort of like, you know, does Daniel really, he grows somewhat, but it seems all for this end. I'm More of his growth probably happens in the other movies. Uh, although I don't remember, so I don't know. And certainly right. where the movie ends up, the TV show ends up, uh, is you've got these characters who I, I agree with you. I'm not sure they would have progressed this way, particularly it almost, it almost uh, nullifies a point at the end of the movie, the yeah. first movie where these kid, where one of these characters seems like he's willing to throw off these reins of abuse from a certain character. And that's kind of my biggest problem with the show so far is that I'm sure a lot of people have different perspectives on it. And I know we're probably not supposed to take it seriously, but there's this element where the Johnny character has seemingly been broken by this abuse. He sort of reconnects with the character who abused him. And he's kind of doling out that same abuse on these kids. Right. I understand that psychologically that's kind of what's happening. But sometimes the show's played in a weird, almost sitcom-y way with the interactions between Russo and Johnny. Yeah. And I'm not sure that Daniel Russo is really that much of a jerk. Or I mean, we see him do certain things, but we see him do certain things that seem plausible particularly for the guy that he was he wanted to be the successful he wanted to be successful he actually was i'm not sure if i buy that johnny would have been such a uh, a deadbeat i just feel like he would have advanced from that yeah but the show can't really have an advancement so i think it's fine i don't know that for the people who kind of raved about it when it came out i don't know I'm, i was never to be perfectly honest i was never like a karate kid acolyte like mm-hmm. it was a movie i enjoyed but it was one of many movies of that kind that i enjoyed in the 80s of those martial arts films and so I think it's worth seeing. The one thing I will say is that the rating system on Netflix is weird to get a handle on. Yeah. Um, because I wouldn't say this is really like they, they, they dip into some areas where I'm not certain it's really a, it sometimes goes, I, maybe I'm wrong. Let me tell me what you think. It definitely goes beyond the PG of the eighties. And I think it even dips, it dips a little bit more than PG 13. I think than you'd like sometimes. Um, I think it, it doesn't feel like it's at the same level as the original films in terms of like the audience yeah and i think particularly in the um in the language like i was i was actually yeah, a little surprised at some of the language um you know that had come out so yeah i would i would agree with you there that i think the language is definitely a little stronger than my kids are like oh we're watching the karate kid movies we can watch cobra kai too and you know i started watching the first episode of thinking yeah that's fine and it's not it's not super excessive but i'm like i don't think this is quite Right, it's the same audience of kids that can watch Karate Kid can't watch this one, and I and I still believe that the and I think most people would agree that the heart and soul of those original movies was Pat Morita, and yes. there is a Pat Morita hole in this new show. I mean, the fact that we get um, you know the the old lead of Kid Cobra Kai coming back, right. I mean, he's not he doesn't quite fill that void. No. It's enjoyable. I'm like, and I think that um, you know uh, the Johnny character, he's doing the best he can with him. I. I I hope that the show, and it may be well because I'm only I'm not out of the first season yet. We just okay, watching it, so I'm hoping that it. Have you watched it all yet? Not all of it, but I've definitely gone into the second season, and there are some things in season two that um, it it I believe it develops the characters more. 
um, and and shows not fully, but like it shows some progress with the characters that I think is um, yeah. Is kind I don't of think, cool. I don't want to see this Johnny Daniel rivalry. Just he seems like it keeps looping itself. Right. Sort of like at some point they're going to have to like. You can see the, the the bridge work being built, I think, for some sort of eventual unification between the two of them. But, man, it's taken a while. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Very um, cool. I agree with you about Cursed. I enjoyed that. The Merlin show, I think it is. Isn't it just called Merlin, I think, on uh, Netflix? The Adventures. Just for people who are looking for it. The Adventures oh, of okay. Merlin. Yep. Adventures of Merlin. I think when it, okay. I think when it was on uh, maybe BBC, it thought it was just Merlin. Um and we are talking about the same one, right? The, yeah, with the um, one that ran um, BBC. Okay. Yep. Yep. With John Hurt as the voice of the dragon. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of great actors in there. Um, yep. Uh, Anthony Head, who was all who played uh, uh, Giles. Giles on yep. Buffy. Yeah, on Buffy is in here as I think he's um, Uther, he's right? Uther. Yep, Uther Pendragon. Um, so. Yep. So yeah, there there yeah, is. I thought it was. What was it, 2012? Yeah, it looks like it came out 2008. It is, um, I think it's in when it was released in uh, on the BBC, it was Merlin, and it might be The Adventures of Merlin on Netflix. Uh, it looks like it's just called Merlin. I, w- I just wanted a distinction because if people are looking for it. Right. It is um, Merlin on Netflix. And it's, yeah, there were five seasons of it. It's a fantastic show. Uh, and I think that I think it's one that I would agree, I would say, and I don't know if you agree, Nathan. It is a, a level that you can watch this one with your kids. For the oh most yeah, part. It's a, yeah, absolutely. It's very fun. Yeah, I'd say the same content level. Well, some of that content levels has uh, elevated a little bit over the years and become a little more adult. But I'd say it's about the same level as like a Doctor Who in terms mm-hmm. of the fact you this is a it's intended to be a family show that you can watch with your family. Yes. Yep. And cursed, cursed is not. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Yeah, cursed is not um, this. But I would say with cursed, you could watch that with maybe a 13-year-old kid or something. I don't think it's, um, it, you, yeah. you know, watch a couple episodes of it. But it's not, we're not talking Game of Thrones exactly. Yeah. It, um, it's, just, it's more in the violence, I would say, with cursed is where you get into that uh, of harder rating. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> agree 100%. So very cool. So I was, um, you know, I was kind of browsing through some of the upcoming um, shows and things that, you know, either, again, just have released or are going to release. Um, And want to know if you've uh, heard about this one or seen this one. This is actually the first one that I was talking about, Nathan. Um, Raised by Wolves. Have you um, heard yes. about that one, or have you seen it? I know sometimes you you grab on HBO Max, and so I was just wondering if you'd still had it or and have seen it or not. I do have HBO Max, and I ha- I uh, we got it over the summer to try it out. And one of the things I do like about HBO Max is that it's not just HBO; they've also got. Uh, They've got like the DC channel on there. So a lot of the DC shows are on there and movies are on there. They have like T's Turner classic movies. So there's a lot of the classic movies and then the criteria movies, which are sort of these, uh, they're usually more expensive DVDs where they're revivals or they are 
taking an older movie and sort of repackaging it uh, and cleaning up the transfer and everything. And a lot of those movies, the actual transfers, the newer transfers of these movies are on there as well. So there's a ton of movies and content that aren't just HBO on HBO Max. And so far, we've been enjoying it. I had gotten it uh, to check out some of the TV shows that were coming out over the summer and then more. Re- and I kept it when like Lovecraft Country yeah. came out, which I'm watching right now with my wife. And then this is one you just mentioned, Raised by Wolves. And I've seen the, I have seen the first three episodes of it. And this is, this is definitely a very interesting show. I, uh, it's almost, it's definitely what I would consider a hard sci-fi or intended to be hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's produced by Ridley Scott. And you, if you've watched some of Ridley, Scott's more recent science fiction films, uh, particularly the kind of uh, redos he did on Alien, not the redos, but when he went back and attempted to do sort of these prologue to the Alien films when he did both Prometheus and then Alien Covenant, that a lot of the ideas that he was trying to hit on there uh, end up in Raised by Wolves. And certainly, of course, we know that Ridley Scott also did Blade Runner. And so there's a little bit of Alien, a little bit of Blade Runner. He also did The Martian. And that idea of surviving in this harsh landscape with very, very little resources, all of those sort of pieces are in this TV show, Raised by Wolves, which involves, uh, at the backdrop of this, is there's almost two, a couple different competing factions in the future that are they're causing this war and struggle in, in space. And they, they, they both come ultimately from Earth, but you have the group of essentially like atheists and who are, they don't believe in any sort of God. And you have these other groups uh, that do believe in certain gods, not, we're not necessarily talking the Christian God here. There's a certain belief set that they have. And that affects each group because the way they approach how they're trying to branch out into space and populate space and populate these other planets is differing because this atheist group is okay with taking androids, which are very similar to the replicants in Blade Runner, although they aren't quite as human, they don't—they look human, but they don't quite come off as human as, say, the replicants of Blade Runner, where mm. that question in that show, of course, became who's a person and who's not a person because of the similarity there. And that came up in shows like Battlestar Galactica. Here, they're definitely still androids in their behaviors, and they are still learning. They're still infants when it comes to emotion. But what, what this particular first group has decided is, hey, we can send a colony of embryos out into space and we will let these androids raise them on another planet and that kind of frees us up we we can we can reduce the amount of time it takes to travel because we can send the androids out there they don't have the same life support systems and we could do this much quicker and so the this group gets a jump on the other group because they have to send a whole colony of people out and take into account all of their you know cryogenic needs and everything to get this group of humans safely to this planet so they can raise these kids. They send two androids out in the other case, mother and father. And what we witnessed in the first episode, you were really only following those two characters. They crash land. There is a female fashioned Android, a male fashioned Android. One is called mother. One is called father. They address each other that way. And then we realize that they have a small about clutch, if you will, of humans that they raise and they raise them using the, the, body functions of the female android she doesn't actually physically give birth to them the way a, a human mother would but she is hooked up to them in these little pods they're growing in what looks almost like a in a petri dish but a square petri dish and uh, she is hooked up to them and so after nine months they're ready to be born but it's just you pull the label back and there's 
baby in there right. and you pop it out and you've got some kids. But then what we see is that this world's very desolate. There are signs that there was alien life here. They find these giant skeletons of these massive looking dragon worm things under the ground. There are other signs there were other creatures there. And as the series goes along, we start to see that not all of them have left. And, but what you can get in this opening episode, particularly is this, how harsh this world is. You know, the androids are trying to be legitimate parents. These kids, they, they then program to play with them and to interact with them. And the mother character is starting to imprint on them in such a way that every time they lose one, when this world's so harsh, that kid will fall down a hole and they'll be gone uh, and they'll, they'll get sick and they'll die. And they get, eventually get down to the point. This is all, this is all within about the first 30 minutes of the first episode. They get down to the point where they only have one left mm. and she is starting to break down under the duress of that various things happen. And eventually what you have culminating towards the end of the first episode is the other group shows up, the humans show up, they're ready to start a colony. She's already been here for a while. She's the only one left except for the other child. So it's her and one child and then enter these other people. And I don't want to get into too much of where this goes because they're building a pretty interesting mythology here. They're building an interesting background of the show. The, uh, the acting is, is on point. It's like, well, you know, Ridley Scott is producing this and I think he may have directed an episode or two of it, but the style is very high there in terms of like the production values, the look is good. One thing I'll say about it right now is it's a very, it's almost more dour. And I felt that way about a lot of recent Ridley Scott films, you know, it feels a little empty in a way you're watching it, you're interested in it, but you always feel like you should be more interested in it. Mm. You know, it's a little gloomy, and I don't, I mean, I like gloomy things sometimes, but there's just a certain emptiness to it. I remember that in the movie Prometheus and an alien covenant, Michael Fassbender played an android called Michael. Yeah. And uh, that character, or not, excuse me, he played a character called David. David, David was the android yeah. in that one. And so in that film, I think what Fassbender is doing with the character, regardless of where they took it, because I think they kind of botched, I think Scott botched it a little bit in Alien Covenant. I thought he was much more interesting than the two androids we see here. And so it's a show that I really, really want to like, but it hasn't captured me just yet. I appreciate that it's a really visually uh, expansive sort of sci-fi, but we're on a craggy, dirty, gross-looking, washed-out rock planet. And that's not particularly engaging, you know. Uh, visually speaking. When we start to get the monsters and we start to get some of the special effects in the spaceships, there's nothing here that's really wowing me, even though you could tell a lot of money was put into the show. But that being said, I think it's a show that for people who enjoy science fiction that stick with it a little bit and let's see what happens. But I will say it's very different. This isn't your rousing space opera. It's a moodier piece. I'm just not sure if it's as thoughtful as it thinks it is right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fair enough. Fair enough. Very cool. Um, Nathan, what are you looking forward to? What's one show that you're looking forward to this fall? Well, whenever Stranger Things comes back, whenever yes. that is, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's this year, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Now there's a couple of things coming up that I'm, I'm looking forward to. And some of them, some of it's not even that I'm looking forward to it being released. I'm looking forward to finding time to watch it because yeah. there's some stuff out there that I really want to, uh, that I want to see. And with HBO Max, I will just mention very quickly uh, two, two shows. One is Lovecraft Country, which I love so far. I think if you are into horror and 
you enjoy that sort of Stephen King sensibility to stories. The Lovecraft Country so far, I think it's on its fourth episode. It's just had its fourth episode. I think the fifth one comes out this weekend, depending on when, when this episode goes up. But the uh, the show is really strong so far. And one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about it is that it's done through HBO, so you definitely have the violence. And they do not flinch away from the depictions of racism at the time period in which this takes place. So this is taking place when, uh, in, in, in a world that would have looked at Lovecraft's writings, which in themselves can be very, very racist, uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have blinked at a lot of that. This is when race, racism is still very, very rampant in a very real way, in such a way that if you are an African-American person traveling across country, you have to worry about the fact that you could be beaten and left for dead and that potentially nobody would care about that. And against that backdrop is this fantastical horror world that Lovecraft created, but these otherworldly beasts, uh, magicians and sorcerers and warlocks and haunted houses. And they go fully into the horror. By the end of the first episode, you have giant monsters stalking people through the woods. And yet when that, when that, trio of characters is trying to escape town you know that there's twofold we're more worried about what happens if the locals get a hold of them than if the shogoths or the monsters in the forest do but it it develops an adventure horror sort of feel so you have this feeling of uh going through libraries looking for ancient homes and then finding these hidden places and these towns that no one else seems to know exist and then suddenly you come upon them so it has an almost an indiana jones kind of styling but then it also has a feeling that there is an episodic nature to this which is different than a lot of shows particularly come on hbo where you're telling one story and it's just a long movie and here you'll have a couple episodes and then suddenly we'll jump away from the sort of cross-country storytelling and we'll have one episode where you've got a bunch of characters who are trapped inside a house with ghosts and yet the question becomes what's more dangerous the ghosts inside the house or now that we live inside this white neighborhood, the racist people that are waiting outside for us, you know, the, the lynch mob. Right. And so that context is handled in a way that's engaging for the time frame. And it doesn't really feel the need to be particularly preachy because what you're seeing is, I think, a pretty accurate representation. I can't speak for the monsters, but the rest of the, of the, the series is a pretty accurate representation of what it probably would have been like to live your life. Uh, of a, as a person of color in that time frame. And I think that's one of the, the values of it. But the other value is you're getting a really good horror story. Uh, and in the first two minutes, I think we see, uh, you, you get to see some really wild out there imagery where this character is having a dream and all of these different fantasy and sci-fi elements are coming together. And you see the Princess of Mars from Mega Rice Bros. And then you get to see uh, Jackie Robinson defeat Cthulhu. So it's a really, it's, I think that people, if they give it a chance, um, it's a really interesting show. And I would say if you are gravitating towards HBO Max, it would be more, it's more worthwhile for Lovecraft Country right now than Raised by Wolves, in my opinion. But they're both on there. And then the other show is called Infinity Train, which is a kid's show. Uh, And I think it actually plays on Cartoon Network, but because of HBO Max and it bringing in a couple different things. It has a lot of Cartoon Network shows. So my kids have been watching Infinity Train and it's nice because they're about 10 or 11 minute episodes and they are broken down into seasons. And it's, I don't know, I don't know how appealing this will sound, but it's basically kids Snowpiercer. (laughs) Minus the class system because it's not dark like Snowpiercer. The idea is these characters who are already dealing with things in their lives uh, and and the characters differ depending on the season. 
So in the first season, you have this young girl get on the on to the train, which sort of just suddenly comes out of nowhere. And when she's on the train, each car is its own different world. And as she's going through these worlds, it's sort of like the train is putting you through these paces and looking at your interior person and, and giving you these challenges that you need to meet. But the world itself changes on the train depending on what happens. So this for main character in the first season is fighting this force that has taken over the, the Infinity Train. And then in season two, you have a different character that we met in season one now has to navigate the train for a different set of purposes. And the people are changing and the train is changing and the animation's really great. And you got a lot of fun voice work in here. You have Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Bradley Whitford come in as these two mirror agents that are chasing people through the train. And uh, Ernie Hudson plays a corgi. Yes, a dog nice. that, who's the king of the corgis, and he he follows along for several episodes. So I think anybody who enjoys those shows like Adventure Time or Gravity Falls or some of the shows we've talked about, Nathan, on Netflix, yeah. shows like uh, the, the Hollow and yep. things like that, that I think you'll, you can really enjoy Infinity Train. So I think that plays on Cartoon Network, and it's right now on HBO Max. Very cool. Very cool. Um. I know one of the ones that uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It's, uh, I, I believe it just uh, completed week two, uh, came out September 7th, was uh, American Ninja Warrior. Um, been a huge fan of American <laughs> yes. Ninja Warrior. Um, so I am really looking forward to getting back into that one. It's always, it's always a fun one to watch. Um, the competition. And I think what's so great is that while they're competing against one another, they're encouraging one another as well. I mean, you just see, uh, you know, the veterans on the sideline, comp- you know, um, spurring on and the, the new ones who are coming in and going for it. And they're all training together and working together for this goal. And I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like the everybody gets a prize scenario. It's like there is one winner, there is one prize. But hey, in the process of training, in the process of trying to be better, we're going to work together and we're going to encourage one another. And so um, they do a really good job at highlighting these stories uh, of the of these people who have been following American Ninja Warrior and um, people who have been encouraged to go out there and lose weight you know, to, to train for this and to jump into this competition. And also, you know, people who have had all these, um, personal problems going on, you know, there, there are families who have suffered, um, you know, deaths and divorce and breakups and all these things. And you find that, you know, this community of, American Ninja Warriors has been able to come around these people and lift them up and encourage them on in their journey. And it's just, it it really is a great show um, to watch. I mean, not just with the athleticism, but also, you know, kind of gives you the the old uh, feel goods in the heart and, you know, everybody's working together um, for, for this common goal. Again, you're, you're competing, but you're, you're encouraging and, and, uh, coming beside and training and helping, giving tips and ideas. You know, somebody um, gets on and uh, they they succeed in an element and they're passing on their secrets. Hey, I did this and this is how it worked for me. You know, or they fall in and, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know that if you should do this because that uh, clearly didn't work for me. So, you know, just a, just a great show. 
uh, to watch overall. Fun to see, you know, sometimes these uh, what what look like superhuman uh, feats of physical um, strength and ability uh, in, in the midst of this. Um, so that is, that is definitely one that, uh, my wife and I love watching. And, uh, once we get beyond, you know, these first couple weeks of school, we'll probably go back and binge the, the first few ones and then just continue watching live. So. Yeah. Well, my kids and I watched some of the, uh, American Ninja Warrior too. We, we enjoy that as well. Over the summer, they found this show that is far less, um, <laughs> I don't think it's nearly as good. It's called The Floor is Lava. Have you yes. seen this? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's pretty dumb. But I, every once in a while I'll walk through and I'll be watching it. And it's like, what a genius sort of idea for a show that's kind of, it's pitched right at that level of, of kind of like, you know, there's only a certain, there's only a certain amount of people that are going to watch this show. But I think it's definitely identified a niche. And I just walk through and I see them replaying the same clip of somebody falling off of something and smashing into uh <laughs> into like a big styrofoam like egg or something and just like the guy the narrator will be like face meet rock and you'll see it like replayed yeah. by five different angles <laughs> and uh it's pretty ridiculous and you know the funny thing is when we look at american ninja warrior and stuff like that i think we look at that and we instantly see we think back to american gladiators you know for those of us who grew up in the 80s and the 90s but i think in some ways shows like american ninja warrior have clearly uh evolved past uh, American Gladiators, and I feel like the floor is lava is more at that level yes. of the original American Gladiators. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what's another one that you're looking forward to, Nathan? So a show that just came out, I've seen an episode or two of it. It's, it's Netflix. These these streaming services these days, they're in constant competition, so stuff is coming out so quickly I can't even see it all. But Netflix has put a new sci-fi show, and I say sci-fi, but when I say this is a science fiction show, think of it in science fiction in the same way that Gravity or The Martian is a science fiction show. Oh, I know where you're going with this, I think. Okay, so the science fiction is very minor. In fact, it's almost science. It could be science fact. For all that it matters, think of this as a space exploration show. And this is the show, a new series called Away. Yes. It's on Netflix. And it stars Hilary Swank, who's giving a really good performance. She's obviously a great actress. But sometimes I think she isn't always given a role that she can really uh, – I think there's two levels to her. Sometimes people give her roles so she can be big and dramatic. And I find that Hilary Swank's way better when you give her something that she can kind of be a more nuanced and – a little more subtle and there's a bit of there's a bit of both in this but i think this is a really good show so far what i've seen of it in the sense that you're getting a realistic vibe and this is more about what does it mean when you're out there in space you're separated from your family and you're in a position where you have you you're faced with these challenges again we talk about the small group of people in a smaller space but that there's a there's a great gulf between this is the world I've left behind. And this is the thing I'm trying to do that anytime a moment where you have a person who's trying to, or humanity in general is trying to reach across a gulf to accomplish something. And I have appreciated more recently, our return to some of these space films, you know, uh, not space force. Although I did right. some of that. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> or even this false sense of, Oh, we need to explore space, but you know, not something as a political plot point but it's rather uh, that real desire that at one point existed for 
mankind to kind of explore the stars. I love that theme in science fiction. And I think you're getting more of it in a show like Away, even though it feels very minor in science fiction, almost than you do in a show like Raised by Wolves, which is much farther out there. It's almost entirely speculative because the world that we see in that show is not like our world at all. So I would recommend this, what I've seen so far of Away. I think it's a, I would say it's at the level of a PG-13 in terms of its content so far. It's more of a drama. I don't know that uh, kids are going to be interested in this in the same way but as someone who's been kind of going back through some of the science fiction movies of late now movies that this is much closer to would be movies again like i mentioned the martian i mentioned gravity gravity particularly uh, apollo 13 which isn't science fiction at all uh but you know historical and then movies like ad astra and interstellar so if you enjoyed those sorts of movies i think you'll enjoy what they're doing with away uh there's another show that i can't that has a, a second season this year that uh, and I can't even remember the name of it. I need to go back and look at it. But it, it posits what would have been different uh, if the space program had gone a different direction after the moon landing. And I, that's a yes. web series. I don't remember the name of it. You probably know what I'm talking about, Nathan. Yeah, but, uh, you're right. I can't remember the name of it either. But yeah, I know I'll have to look it up. About. That's in its second season, which I haven't seen yet. But I would definitely recommend Away. I've only seen the first few episodes of it. But it seems like a strong show. I love the characters and I love the world that it's building. And I do love, again, that sense of the awe and the inspiration of trying to do this thing, this, this grand thing, against the realistic cost of what that, that thing means. So Away so far is a show I'm really anxious to get into more. And I do know that Disney Plus is doing, you asked things I'm looking forward to, Disney Plus is having something come out later this year, which is a funded by National Geographic and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, I think is producing it. Yep. It's the right stuff. The right and, stuff it's gonna yeah. be, and I loved that movie back in the day. I had the book, the right stuff, but the, the movie from the eighties was Scott Glenn had a ton of different actors in it that I am, re- which, which is about the space crime program. And again, it's not science fiction, but rather historical. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that could be really well done. And I'm glad that Disney Plus is kind of behind it because it means two things. One, that the production values will obviously be high. And then also that it's not going to have a lot of needless content yes. that doesn't need to be in there. And yep. uh, and to circle back that, the one thing I will say, particularly about so far about Raising Wolves and uh, the Lovecraft Country, the two shows on HBO Max now, is that they feel a little different than HBO's regular R-rated content. They are definitely heavily R-rated. But I've noticed that they've they don't feel the need to throw in explicit sex or some of that material. That's not that there's never a moment or two, but it's not explicit. And it doesn't feel like they're trying to fill a quota. You know, when we, when, when shows like game of Thrones were out, people would say, well, I was watching the show and it was fine. And then suddenly this happened. Right. And I'm seeing a little bit less of that in these other two shows that yes, I'm not, I'm in no way saying that the content is mild, but the content feels like it's appropriate and organic to the story as opposed to, wow, I just had to turn my head 24 times because, you know, they felt the need to meet some sort of uh, certain certain uh, demographic. So right. I, I'm encouraged to see that, that it seems like there's a little bit less of that happening in some of these shows. Nice, nice. Yeah, you um, yeah, you definitely mentioned the right stuff, and that's one that I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, I love the space program. I love uh, learning more and more about the things that uh, went on and took place. Uh, one of my favorite exhibits to go to, uh, I go and visit it every time I go there is um, the, the space program where they talk about uh, the Gemini's and then they go into the Apollo missions and all of that. And so 
Uh, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Great series, um, kind of going back some time. If you haven't seen it, is uh, From the Earth to the Moon, uh, narrated by Tom Hanks, and it's it's not. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, it's 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 not. Um, you know, a it's it's historical. Uh, definitely by nature, and it goes through uh, all of the missions from Gemini to Apollo, and it just talks about, and, and it's very well done, very well acted. You have um, uh, Tim Daly, who who is in it and plays Jim Lovell in the series. You have, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. He played Captain Stottlemyre and Monk. Um, uh, Ted Levine. Thank you. Yes, Ted Levine, um, and he plays. I believe it's um, shoot. I, I not Buzz Aldrin. Um, oh, I'm not going to remember it. I th- uh, John Glenn. Uh, is it John Glenn? I don't know. I, I I'm trying to. Um, it's been years since I've seen. That, yeah, actually. but I mean, it's just it's got a stellar cast in it and very well acted, very well done. Um, brings a realistic perspective into not only what went on in the lives of the astronauts, but what went on in their family lives as well. I mean, it's it's very sad that the toll that this took on um, the families in their lives. Um, you know, at the end of the series, the, or toward the end of the series, it does do a focus on the women uh, who are married to these um, space program pilots. And, you know, it's um, out of all of them who were in there, uh, there were... Um, two. Uh, it was Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard, thank you. That's who it was. Yep. yep. There were there were two uh, couples who were still married, and that was Jim Lovell and Neil Armstrong. And and of course, um, Neil Armstrong and his wife actually divorced uh, a few years after this series came out. And so, um, you know, it just it shows the real struggles that these these families went through. It shows the challenges that these astronauts faced. Um, and, and it also, I think it's interesting because it shows that throughout all these things, I mean, because the space program could have been um, could have been taken out uh, or, or could have been shut down at almost any time. But but these astronauts fought to keep it going. They believed that what um, they were doing and the exploration that was taking place and, and the race that was going on to get to the moon was worth the risk. And so um, just, uh, again, if you haven't seen it from the earth to the moon, fantastic series. Um, so yeah, the right yeah. stuff, October 9th, Disney plus definitely is one that I'm going to check out. Um, another one that's coming out um, not too much later than that, October 15th. Um, I've actually never gotten into this one. And that was partly based on yours and my brother's recommendation. And that's Star Trek Discovery. Um, season three will be coming out October 5th on CBS All Access. Um, but from uh, I know there are a lot of people out there who like it, who who enjoy this one clearly because it's still up and running. But Nathan, you had said that this really wasn't um, that there was just too much going on, more more than needed to be going on in the show. Too much um, kind of shock factor and almost like that HBO thing you were talking about filling a quota with, hey, we need to throw this much in here and this much in here, whether it's language or sex or this or that. 
Um, and my brother actually had kind of the same opinion, which is why I've never really seen it. Um, is this, are you going to go ahead and try to check out the third season or are you, have you kind of been like, no, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to wait till they do season two of Picard. I mean, so one of the things is I, I may still watch it. And my comment on that is it's not, we're not necessarily talking about the level of content is the same as, you know, some of those shows. And it's not so much just, it's not so much the content in and of itself. Um, I think Picard got into a little bit of that content, certainly with the violence and everything. I think Discovery is a bit more mature than Picard. But my issue is that the themes and everything that they're trying to sort of shoehorn into the series sort of, they spend more time on that than they do developing a good Star Trek story Mm -hmm. and good science fiction story. And 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 you can see the two actually kind of smashing into each other. And so I think one of the problems is that it becomes a show that tries to depend on either some grittiness or some shock value or I don't even know if shock value is the right word. It's probably not. It's not so much shock, but it's like they're trying to make this so modern and socially relevant in a way. And I'm not necessarily opposed to those things, but when you have a sci-fi show like Star Trek, that's trying to posit this world that is supposed to look a certain way, right? Like the Federation. And that's one of the things I did like about Picard. People complained about the fact that, well, the Federation is supposed to be almost a utopian world with a utopian ideal and that you're supposed to achieve this. And yet Picard is showing ways in which that has been stunted mm-hmm. and twisted. And I enjoyed that. And there, it's not that I don't enjoy everything about Discovery, but it just feels like it feels very mechanical in the writing department mm. on that show. I'm not saying that Picard didn't have those moments. Picard had the strength of obviously Patrick Stewart's right. acting and then surrounding him with a relatively interesting group of people and also being willing to really play off of what had come before, really digging into the richness of the next generation show. Discovery just is not as good as those shows and it doesn't feel as much like Star Trek. It's less interested about thought provoking stories than it is recycling and rehashing the kind of drama you can see on every other TV show. And so that's kind of where I'm coming. So it's not necessarily, oh, I was shocked by it. I wasn't. But it also isn't the one that you can show your kids. You know, mm-hmm. for the most part with Picard, there were some moments of violence when I was still able to, with walking them through a little bit of hand-holding, I could still watch Picard with them. Yeah. I can't really do that with Star Trek Discovery. And there's nothing in the show that makes me want to do that because it just isn't as compelling. And so for me, it's just one more sci-fi show. It doesn't necessarily strike me as a Star Trek show that I'm interested in watching. So I haven't even bothered with the much uh, I saw about midway through the second season and I kind of binned it and I don't know that I'll go back to it, honestly. Yeah. Nice. Um, what about you, Nathan? What's another one that you're, uh, you're looking forward to coming out next? Well, we mentioned, we, I mentioned the word utopia and we actually have utopia. Yeah. A TV show called utopia coming on Amazon on September 25th. And people who are excited about this are excited about it. I think because this, this is, or was a BBC show to start with. Now this is the American version of it. Jillian Flynn who did gone girl is sort of heading this, this one up, but it is taking its, its cues from a British show that was sort of, you know, comedic, a little bit sci-fi with a really weird sort of premise that involves conspiracy theories. You know, basically, if you thought, if everything Alex Jones said was real, you know, you might get some of that right. in this show. This is a, a, these are people, though, who are almost like comic 
Con kind of people, right? They're fans of this specific graphic novel. And then they're starting to realize that this, this conspiracy idea that exists within their favorite comic book is actually starting to like happen. Yes. And that they are sort of players in it, and then they're going to have to save the world. And I think we've seen this in some other shows and, and, and movies and things over the years. But uh, I and I haven't caught up with the British show yet. But the trailer for this looks like it could be a lot of fun. Rain Wilson from The Office is in it, so John Cusack is in it too. So they've got a fun cast, and I think there's a potential for this to be. I think you know, the, depending on how it ends up playing out, this could be another, I don't want to say another Stranger Things in the same sense as, as Stranger Things, but I think this could be a show that captures an audience and makes people ready to see season two. Yeah. But we'll see. We haven't had season one yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you seen the trailer for it, Nathan? Um, I have not. I've only read some things about it, but I haven't had a chance to check out any of the trailers, so... Um, I'll have to do yeah. that and see if that's one that I'd be interested in, in coming in on. Um, we do have a new uh, DC series coming out. Uh, and Nathan, you and I, I think briefly, I can't remember if you and I briefly mentioned this personally or if we mentioned it on the podcast, but we do have Swamp Thing that's going to be coming to the CW. Um, what Have you seen anything about this yet? I, again, same thing with this one. I've only read some things about it, but I haven't actually seen a trailer for it. Have you been able to see anything on this one? So the thing with Swamp Thing, and I think that's kind of interesting, is Swamp Thing a year or two ago, and I want to say it was not this year but the year before, Swamp Thing was actually one of the shows that they tried to pioneer on the DC channel. Okay. The DC like streaming service, which if anyone knows, DC's got a couple of its own shows. I think Titans is one that's over there. That's it's that is a show that is um, done solely by DC, uh, the DC channel. And if you get the DC streaming service, my understanding, I have some people who have it. In addition to all those shows, Batwoman's on there too because that's on HBO Max, and I haven't yet got a chance to check that out, but I'd like to. And the, the thing with that is you can also read a lot of back issues of DC Comics. So it seems like there's some things worthwhile. But Swamp Thing had a small run on the DC channel. And then it got canceled. But it got canceled due to some weird thing with, like, North Carolina, like, tax law or something related to the to the funding for the productions. I don't remember exactly what happened. But it was canceled before it had even aired, I think. And, of course, that immediately put a sort of crimp in it you know what i mean that immediately here's swamp thing and it's already gone before it's really started it hadn't even aired its episodes so then i think it's like i'll just play the episodes and that will will go on from there and so it had about 10 episodes i saw it when um when i saw an episode or two of it and it definitely went for a more horror kind of theme which is accurate because Swamp Thing in this DC incarnation was really sort of the horror character, right? He was a horror character. He, Swamp Thing himself, is the good guy. Mm-hmm. But the universe that he lives in is a little bit more horror-centric, obviously, than Batman and Superman. Of course, you know, late years later, he's become part of the Justice League Dark that includes Constantine and characters right. like that. And Alan Moore had some a few stints writing Swamp Thing. So the horror feel for the show made sense. Now, so CW, though, who grandfather's ever you know tries to has created a pretty interesting 
world of characters over there with Flash and Arrow and, you know, mm-hmm. all these different characters is now trying to bring Swamp Thing into that fold. And from my understanding, this is the, forgive the pun, but the offshoot, if you will, of the one that aired in, um, the, the, the one that aired on the DC network. And so it is coming back and it's going to be on CW. And if it is, if it's keeping with that feel, then I think that this could be really good because it's going to feel a little bit different than uh, what happened in the Arrow and the Flash universes. I'm, I'm sure it will be a little more CW'd by the time we get there and we see a new right. season. But if this has a distinct horror feel, however, it still has a comic book feel. And the Swamp Thing character, I think, has a lot of potential. He's one of my favorite DC characters, actually, because he's so absurd. But then the writing on his comic series was so good that you sort of sit there and think, wow, I'm reading this story about a swamp plant person who's going on all the, you know, that's some actual pathos to these stories. And so I think if they could develop that, the problem you get beyond this is Swamp Thing doesn't turn into Swamp. He doesn't turn into a plant. He's a plant the whole time, you know? I mean, he was a human being at one point, but for the sake of the series, Swamp Thing ends up being a bit of a peripheral character, which I think that's going to be interesting. How do you handle a, a, a TV series where Swamp Thing is not necessarily your hero all the time? Not that he's not the hero, but because of probably the special effects requirements and the fact that he is this solitary character, he ends up being more of a catalyst than a protagonist, if that makes sense. And the T what I saw of the TV show that aired on DC, they were doing a really good job of making him the catalyst and not the protagonist and not losing any of the drama that was there. It wasn't a home run yet, but I could see this, the, 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 uh, beginnings i'm trying to avoid plant growth metaphors here i can see the beginnings of a good tv show in it and i think cw has the resources to make that happen nice very cool um we've got we've got another one um that i'm i'm curious uh to find out what you um think about this if you've still been following this a couple years ago when we did this um you had said you had been really um into supernatural and they've got their final season that's coming out um have you been keeping up with that um fairly regularly and are you are you kind of interested in looking forward to the final season <laughs> so so even when when we talked about this, probably when we were doing uh, Pop Culture Ninja, what, like four years ago at this point, yeah. which is crazy to think, that even then we were on like season probably 11 or 12 of that show. And yeah. I had already kind of been it. I was curious when it was going to end. I think it was probably my statement that I was like, ah, and I haven't really been watching it for years and years. Every once in a while I'll pop in if I hear there's an episode, someone says, oh, they're in Scooby-Doo, this <laughs> or they go into the <laughs> Scooby-Doo universe, and that happened, and they went in as cartoons, and that was funny. But, you know, every once in a while I'll tune in for an episode. Jeffrey Dean Morgan comes back. Okay, I'll, I'll watch that episode. But, I mean, they're now, they've gone on for so long that now the last season literally has them fighting God, and I just don't know what else you could possibly do with this. The season ended up broken up from what I understand. Uh, so that really, obviously because of COVID, right. you didn't get the conclusion. A lot that's happened with a lot of shows. So there's new seasons for a lot of shows, including the flash is really the second half of their last season. Right. So right. that's kind of where supernatural is. It's the final season from what I understand is really just the second half that they weren't able to complete 
or complete in a manner that was to their liking. So not really. I mean, I might probably try to tune in for the last episode, but I'll be honest with you. I, I got into Supernatural just as it was ramping up its fifth season, mm-hmm. which felt, I think, for all the world, like it was going to be its last season. You yeah. know, everything they seemed to need to have done, they could have done. And the show has continued for 10 more seasons. <laughs> and I dropped out after season eight. So I'm a bit behind the times on this show. I I like that these guys are able to get a show and, you know, uh, keep it going. And, you know, very few Super, uh, supernatural sci-fi fantasy shows get to last as long as 15 years so that's an accomplishment i i'm glad they did it but i will say that it really started to recycle itself and i know i know fewer people that have stayed with it this long that still feel that it's strong so yeah i uh, but i haven't watched it enough to know uh, i just after a while it felt like i was circling the you know he was seeing the same things over and over again. And honestly, I felt like that show ended in season five. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what, uh, what other shows are you looking forward to? Um, I've got about, I've got about two more that I'm going to talk about, but, um, what are, what are a couple more that you're interested in Nathan? Okay. And then, so when we've got, we talked, we've talked a lot about some of these sci-fi shows. I will admit, mention a couple off of the top of my head as I see that I'm interested in. And some of those are, you know, one of the shows, the shows we haven't mentioned as much are the BBC shows, right? Mm. Uh, and BBC has a couple of things. They've specifically got what I'm interested in. That is, uh, I, I need to catch up with the first season, but it's a, it's a, it's a series called ghosts. And I heard good things about the first season and I which you know, it's the characters who, move into this house and then they get to deal with all these kind of spirits and the ghosts and everything. And it has that upstairs, downstairs drama feel to it from what I can see. But then half of these people are dead. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in seeing that. I do enjoy, I think that the BBC, uh, the BBC drama mysteries do tend to be a little bit superior usually to Mm -hmm. the, their American counterparts a lot of times. Uh, Ratchet is on Netflix where you're going to have Sarah Paulson playing the kind of sadistic nurse that appeared in the Jack Nicholson movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that I, that could be interesting. It's always sort of a, I'm not a huge fan of this trend to take a popular character, particularly the side character or the villain or something, and to make a whole show around them. Sometimes that works. Uh, the show Hannibal was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But like Bates Motel, we get, the, we get this done so often that it doesn't automatically make it interesting to me. And then making one around nurse ratchet doesn't necessarily jump out to me as something that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. So I'm i I'm a little um, hesitant on that one. I know there's some people that are excited for it, but I'm not, um, I'm a little bit more um, interested, I think in, uh, in, in stories that are kind of, you know, we don't have many, but when a story kind of springs from, something that's unique and we haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, I, it's not that this, this, uh, this can't work. It's just that sometimes it doesn't. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and I'm trying to look here. There, there is something coming up. Well, I have a question too. Well, we're, we're discussing this. Have you watched any of the boys, uh, Nathan on, I did not. Um, so when it came out, it looked interesting, but it also, the way they were presenting things, I was like, 
this this could go a little sideways. So I ended up looking up some of the content and things like that, and I just oh, it's pretty strong yeah. content wise. And I'm not actually a fan. I saw a bit of the first season. I like Carl Urban a lot. Yes. I mention it though because it is a show that a lot of people seem to be excited about. Yeah, and I never quite got that. Like I have a friend who really likes it. And it's convinced that I just don't get it. And that may be true, but I, I feel like I've seen so much of this and it's, it's, it's ground that was trod in shows like, or in books and in movies like Watchmen. Right. I think that the HBO Watchmen is actually, that, that takes place long after that story is a more interesting um, idea. The boys is a lot about being edgy for edgy's sake. And if you, you have that, love that feeling of, Hey, uh, I'm staying up late and watching Cinemax while nobody knows I'm doing it. Right. You know, that sort right. of thing. Or we read it in our rated movie. We're watching it tonight. At the, you know, it's got, it, it runs a lot off of that. Oh, isn't this naughty? And I'm not sure. I don't know if season two fixed the problem that they didn't have to me, a compelling drama that went beyond that same sort of, Oh, isn't this naughty that propelled stuff like um, Deadpool. And, and although Deadpool to me, it, you know, as Deadpool progresses, it becomes a, almost more slapsticky and you can get away with a lot more stuff there you know right Deadpool at some point feels like a naked gun movie with right. words, and i and i can deal with that a lot better and i yes. can you know some of what's going on in the boys just ends up not quite being it, as intrinsically mark, yeah. dramatically interesting to me because it wants to be taken seriously at some level and then when you strip all the stuff away you're like you're no different than the marvel movies you know really right yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. And that's, and that's part of it. I, you know, I had spoken with enough people who were like, well, this is pretty much what you're going to expect to get out of it. This is kind of, uh, you know, I think this is what you're going to feel after you watch it. And I was like, all right, well, I don't, I, I, to me, there's nothing more disappointing than, than investing um, time and hours into a show and then being disappointed with it. And I I just feel like you know what I'm not I'm not even going to bother with that. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if you and I talked about this. Um, there was a show on Amazon Prime, another show on Amazon Prime called Upload, um, which yeah I watched some. I actually kind of enjoy Upload, um, though I've seen it. But I, I I take your point. It does have a lot of content. Um, and and I felt like so I had watched that, but then simultaneously I was also watching The Good Place. And I felt like they they both had similar premise in what they were doing. I feel like the good place had executed the delivery of it better, and so I've actually I've enjoyed the good place a lot more. Um, and upload, you know, I went through and I got to the end and I uh, end of season one, and I was just I was left feeling like I, I really I don't think I'm going to watch season two. I just I didn't really think there was. Um, you know, much in there for me compared to, you know, watching The Good Place. So um, that was just kind of my feeling with it. And I felt like I had enough people telling me that The Good Boys was going to leave me with a similar feeling. And I'm like, there's enough content out here that I want to be able to watch and enjoy that I don't need to spend, you know, uh, eight hours of my life or whatever it is watching something that I'm going to get to the end to and be like, "Ah, that was a waste of eight hours. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty, I think, of having all the the various streaming options. And I think if you're someone who's looking for that superhero fix, um, that you can get a bit of the same. And and this is a show I think made a big uh, improvement from season one to season two, is a TV show called The 
Umbrella Academy mm. that's on Netflix. And so I don't know if you saw any of the Umbrella Academy, Nathan. Did you get a chance to see any of it? No, not yet. But again, from you and from others, I've heard some really good things about it. So I would recommend, like, if the, that show, the, if the even any of the elements of the boys, that kind of graphic novel, uh, telling a story, it's a little gritty. Although I don't think Umbrella Academy is particularly gritty. Um, it's a little too gritty, obviously, to watch with my kids. But it's... Um, I think that there's more to enjoy there. If you want to put more idiosyncratic sort of story, I'm enjoying the story more. If you boil, boil it down to the story beats, I'm enjoying the story beats in the umbrella Academy more than the story beats in the boys, which again, feels a little bit like, Oh, look how naughty we are. And, and then that kind of just tunes me out to me. I find that stuff boring, not, not um, thrilling or intriguing. And yeah. I think, you know, after a while I'm like, I get it. It's potty humor. It's not, it's not genius. Right. Um, now that being said, there are some things to enjoy in the boys. There's a lot of fun performances and Carl Urban and some of the writing is good. I don't know if it's good because I haven't seen the new one and I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to see the new one. Uh, of course, there's a big one we've been kind of dancing around in terms of ones I'd like to see. I'll mention a couple others. Netflix has one coming up on October 23rd called The Queen's Gambit that has Anna Taylor-Joy, who if anyone ever saw the movie The Witch, she was in that. And she's also in The New Mutants currently, which is playing, I suppose, in movie theaters I wouldn't know right now. Right. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a movie, it's a TV series about competitive chess, and it takes – it's uh, – it was a 1983 novel that it's based off of, but she's an orphan girl who rises through the ranks of the competitive chess world. And that's, you know, she's a really good actress. That's an actual sort of interesting concept, but she's addicted to these like tranquilizing drugs that they gave her as a kid when she was an orphan. And so that is playing into this whole element of the chess competition. And I just think that's such if you're going to make a movie about this kind of content, I think you have to be very precise with it. And I, that oftentimes ends up being a really good thing for a TV show when you have to, when you have to kind of really figure a creative way to make a show. And I think making a show about competitive chess is going to have to be kind of challenging. That's a lot of times when it pays off, you know, when you have to make the thing that isn't going to work unless you hit it exactly right. I think that might be one to, to watch out for. So I know I, I, certainly it doesn't necessarily sound that interesting but i'm more interested in the challenge it presents to make it work and uh, i think you and i would agree that sometimes when you have that challenge that's when things can really be good yeah yeah absolutely um Um, let's see there was there was a couple others that i had been uh looking at um the blacklist is one that i actually haven't been um, following for a couple seasons and not because i didn't like it but it was mainly because I just I got so busy and other things were coming out that I was trying to keep up with. But, um, you know, that is um, premiering again uh, November 13th. Um, and so, you know, if you've been a fan of The Blacklist, I mean, James Spader, I've enjoyed. Um, I didn't know it was and, still on, to be honest. Yeah, I thought I thought it was actually um, winding down as well. But I mean, apparently it's 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 here um, and it's and it's going. So, um, it was one, I think I had watched the first four seasons of it and then had, like I said, got sidetracked, but I really enjoyed the blacklist and, and Spader's performance, uh, in that show. So that, uh, that's one that I'm hoping I can get back into and, and kind of get caught up and, and watch again. So. Yeah. And I, I agree. 
um, I liked the blacklist when I saw it, but I just didn't, I didn't realize, honestly, that it was still sort of um, running. Another uh, one that I'm looking forward to, and they just had the trailer recently, is The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is a Netflix, uh, mm. will be a Netflix original. And it is really the, I say the follow-up, but it's a follow-up in the sense that this is the next installment, but it's telling a completely different story. This is the follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House, yeah. which was a big uh, Netflix hit from a few years back, which was really, really good. And I think the thing that that show did that was that worked was in like the best of Stephen King. It took a really strong, solid family drama and set it against some horror, but the people who were not typically fans of horror films or horror stories could enjoy it because they'd be invested in what's going to happen to this family are they going to be able to make it through together? Are they going to be able to solve their individual demons and you reconcile with one another? And the same kind of things that you'd watch an average drama for were all of the beats that hit in this show, but they just also happen to have this element, this backdrop of the haunted house. So yeah. that's one element. The other element of the haunting of Bly Manor, and this is also, this one's going to be, um, uh, it's following the Bly Manor. It was the setting of the turn of the screw by Henry James. That was made into a couple different movies. Even one just recently this past year called the innocence that uh, is a very classic, one of my favorite ghost stories. So it's drawing on that. So I think that, and it was also going to be directed by Mike Flanagan, who actually is a, um, he's an alum of Towson. He graduated from Towson university and he's done many he, he's kind of uh, really hit his stride on Netflix. He last year, he directed the sequel to, the Shining, Doctor Sleep. And oh, cool! He, he's done uh, Gerald's Game on Netflix. He did the original Haunting of Hill House, and now he has Haunting of Blind Manor. So I'm really excited about that. I don't know that they've got a release date yet. Hulu, who's been doing some interesting things, and I would recommend if you are a fan of science fiction, there is a show on Hulu called Devs, which I think is really, really interesting. And Nick Offerman, you know who who yeah. was on uh, Parks, most people know from Parks and Rec. He's on there as a sort of guru of a big tech company and people are uncertain. Uh, yeah, so if you enjoy things like The Matrix and you enjoy, not The Matrix in the sense of all the action, if you enjoy that sort of mind bending, what is reality in movies like Inception and things like that. I think that there's a lot there in Devs, but Devs is a little dense, you know, it takes a little bit to get into, but it's quirky. So it, it's, it's halfway between a comedy and halfway between a sort of mind-bending science fiction. So I would recommend Devs. Hulu, Hulu has something coming up for all the horror fans coming October 2nd. They're going to have an eight-episode series called Monsterland that is basically an anthology. I love the anthology series, but they're rarely done very well. Last year, Shudder gave us the first season of Creep Show, and that was fun. But uh, the thing I'm excited about this is it's adapted from a story collection called North American Lake Monsters, which I read a few years ago, and is really good. This author, Nathan Bellingrad, has almost a, a Ray Bradbury-esque feel to the way he writes stories. So anyone who's into horror, starting October 2nd, Hulu will have Monsterland. And I watched the trailer, and it looks pretty spooky. It looks pretty cool. So there is that. Very cool. Um, well, I think it's time to mention the, the big one, unless you have anything else, Nathan. No, I mean, I'm sure there's things all along the way. Uh, it's hard to kind of get a, a snapshot of everything that's coming out. And then I think, you know, what's funny is if you go back and you were to listen to some of our older episodes where we kind of predict what's going to be big and what's not, mm -hmm. it's funny how you just slide right over things. I remember listening to, um, uh, not that long ago, going back listening to an episode we did in 2016 
uh, the summer when we first started doing this and we were talking about the shows coming out of the summer and, and we all we had was a little blurb and we said, oh, it'd be interesting to see what Netflix does with the show Stranger Things, which is based off of, right. you know, like, that, that could be fun. Who knows? Um, maybe I'll watch an episode or two of it. You know, it's funny how the things that are big, sometimes, you know, it's quite possible that whatever the next big thing is, we haven't even mentioned it here yeah, uh, because we just don't know. And yeah. you reading uh, half of these things, we're just reading little blurbs. And in most cases, we might not even have a trailer or something to go at, at, off of. So I think that's kind of the most exciting thing a lot of times about these shows is that you're not really sure where the next big one is going to come from and, yeah. and what it's going to be. So I think that's what's interesting. But no, I really don't have anything else that I can think of off the top of my head. I will also say that particularly for people who have kids, keep a, keep an eye out for a lot of the, the animated shows and and kid programming then both comes i think disney plus has been doing an awesome job with their programming uh both from their tv series perspective and from their their movies i mean i've been pretty pleased with the the service altogether yes um, yeah you know and, and and the stuff they've been putting out and netflix too netflix i think particularly with its animated end of things and they just put obviously you have our episode a few weeks ago where we did airbender and talked about the fact that the legend of Korra is now on there not new material but you know still they have a i think they have a habit of putting out some pretty interesting shows as well and so that's always good to keep an eye on because that stuff definitely slips on the radar and is boom out on netflix and you know i'll turn turn it on at the time and suddenly there's a new kids program on Netflix and sometimes they're really worth watching. So yeah, that's about all I'd say. Yeah. So I think, I think we're ready for the big one, Nathan, you know, uh, getting in and hearing, uh, you know, Mandalorian and that's coming up. And I am, I am just super excited about this one. The, the first season was just so, um, I, I'm not going to say surprisingly good because, um, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know it, it looked interesting with that kind of Western theme to it. Um, and so, but, uh, John Favreau just did a good job at coordinating and bringing all these different directors together, uh, to really give us a great series in the Mandalorian. And you had, uh, again, you had all these different directors. There were, there were what five or six different directors who were working on different episodes and each episode while it was uh you felt like it could be contained within itself did help to progress and drive the story forward into uh the overall season story that was going on and so i felt like it just it did a f- fantastic job at bringing all elements together and reminding me of what Star Wars once was and what it can be again, um, and so I'm I'm really excited for for this one. Yeah, me too. I, the only thing is, and I um, I don't envy the Mandalorian for being in this position. Is it came at exactly the right time because I think last year when it, it debuted and it debuted, what was it, November of last year? Yeah, it was it was whenever it was whenever um, Disney Plus first released, they had the first episode ready to drop with. And that was obviously smart because a lot of people grabbed Disney Plus just for that. And then over time, Disney Plus gave people reasons to hang around, I think. And that that's been great. But I think The Mandalorian, it came when I say it came at the right time is it it came out and it wrapped up just about as 
rise of Skywalker was hitting theaters. Yes. And I, regardless of what anyone else thinks, I think that we're getting to a point. I remember the backlash for Last Jedi, but I'm firmly rooted in the belief that the rise of Skywalker is the worst of the, is it nine films now that exist uh, of that Skywalker story? And then it, it, I think it really left a bad taste in a lot of Star Wars fans' mouths. It's like, okay, I just don't want any more of this. I just mm-hmm. don't. And I, I don't even want to look at half of those characters ever again. Uh, it just, it is nowhere to go, uh, in my opinion. And I think if this movie had hit before the Mandalorian, I feel that we might have not even never gotten it, or that it would have there been a certain taint to it. But what happened was the reverse. You got Mandalorian, which was such a great example of what people miss from Star Wars, and then when Rise of Skywalker comes out, I think that's partly part part of one of the reasons that it was rejected so roundly was like that's nothing like what I want, and I could point to this as an example of what it is that I want. Mm-hmm. And I think we even said that last year. I've, I've cooled considerably on that last Star Wars movie. I didn't like it that much when it first came out, but I've liked it even less. So I guess the issue that, that, that the Mandalorian's got to figure out is we're coming back into a into an environment where we where like there aren't that many big movies. I mean, we have Dune coming out soon, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll talk about that when we talk about movies. But there's not a lot of big science fiction or fantasy movies that are on this. Uh, horizon for 2020 and with star wars on the big screen being sort of you know uh scuttled to the point that i mean i don't know if you keep seeing every week they come out and they're saying you know last week's big thing was hey you know what we were really thinking that ray would be ray uh you know kenobi and then people are like oh yeah because that's not better than uh palpatine you know and it but it just shows a sense of haphazardness yeah why do you have three different things for who this person can be while you're making your third film, right. why are you making the third film and you haven't even discussed what this person's origin is, or they even need this, this mighty origin. And so I think the haphazardness of that show, the disappointment with where star Wars is right now, it's to the point that they almost, you have to be reminded, Hey, the Mandalorian's over here. I think Disney's hedging their bets that this is where the future of the star Wars series is, or the star Wars franchise is, is on television. Yeah. Uh, obviously that's, that's late. That's borne out by the fact that she's all the Obi-Wan show with um, McGregor moving forward, yeah. which I, what you're getting the sense is going to be a Picard or Logan sort of take right. on that material. I think Disney style, of course. So all that being said, I think the only problem, the only potential problem we have going into Mandalorian is that the expectations are going to be so high. Yeah. It's going to be the big sci-fi event as far as movies and film are concerned, I think for the, uh, up until June, uh, for the coming fall and it's a little bit of a different audience and then it also has the hopes of star wars the right. future of star wars sort of resting on its shoulders, on its shoulders so yeah. even the season that's only as good as the first one i don't think it's going to be satisfying to a lot of people um that's why you know twofold lower your expectations not lower them but just you know i'm looking forward to a continuation of the story but if favreau is able to up the ante and top the first season I think he's going to be putting into canon something that is going to be considered as one of the best things that ever existed in the Star Wars universe up there with the first three movies. And granted, some of us may say the bar is not high for that, (laughs) but I I really think he's got the opportunity to make something that becomes the next piece of classic Star Wars fiction. And it's going to, unfortunately, I think it's really going to require him to, do better than he did the first season. Although right. the first season, I have no real complaints about it. You right. know what I mean? It doesn't have to do better. He has to enrich the story. Right. He's got to make this 
this beats count. However, I definitely wouldn't bet against Favreau because I wasn't expect. I didn't know, like you said, I didn't know what to expect with the Mandalorian to begin with. And most of the time he's done a great job with his films and the things he's worked on. The yeah. one exception being the Lion King where he wasn't given anything challenging to work with. Right. Uh, here he's given a lot to work with. He's got some great actors and he's got some great stuff. So I wouldn't bet against it. I just do think it's going to have to be. Re- this is the opportunity for them to make people really care about Star Wars again. I know we mostly care because we are excited for the Mandalorian, but to make it that kind of thing that's going to relaunch the franchise, I think we got to really see number two knock it out of the park. But yeah. I think it can happen. Yeah, and and that's the thing is I think I think if Disney kind of um, doesn't hedge him in and they they let him explore this universe even more i think he can bring us something that um that is is more unique i mean that that's the one thing that we were talking about is we got to see these these different worlds um and these different people and these different creatures that we we really um had only touched on in the past and so being able to come back into it um fresh like this and and, and it's not you know i i want to understand too it's not just the the story and the environment but it's the way that these things are told as well you know he's done a fantastic job at building these models at at bringing in you know stormtroopers if you've ever gone back and watched kind of the making they do this eight-part making of it um you know when they're bringing the stormtroopers in at the end of the series and you see all the stormtroopers surrounding them they actually went out and put a casting call out to this kind of professional stormtrooper group to come in and join the filming of this. And so, you know, taking those extra steps to bring the story to life and to make a story that we remember, you know, we remember Lucas in the original Star Wars movies and, you know, seeing the miniatures and and those things stuck with us and those things brought them brought the show to life with us where we were talking you know just a few weeks ago about the lord of the rings you know he goes back and does you know attack of the clones and you're like i feel like i'm watching the the clone wars you know the animated tv series here um and Which thankfully didn't exist at that point so we couldn't compare the two. <laughs> right, but, right right because we probably um, would have been like man the clone wars is better than this re- it's that textured sense of reality that the mandalorian has because it can slow down a little bit or it's chosen to slow down a little bit. Yes. And I think it's, it's even, even in the sense of the creatures, because that's one of the things I loved about Star Wars. And I was so looking forward to when the, the new series originally was announced, but they were spent so much time with all of this, like rehashing all this stuff that they almost forgot that this is a world populated with alien creatures. How many alien creatures, if we're honest, do we really get to see in four? awakens i mean there's like one big animal drinking out of a puddle at one point and you know you have a few new aliens but it's very minor it's not emphasized really at all like here's a perfect example and i actually don't i'm not going to apologize for continuous slag on rise of skywalker but there's a scene in rise of skywalker where they end up the movie's just one mass of go here go here go here go here but at one point they end up down in a hole under are they on? They're on the desert planet. I don't know if they're on Tatooine. I don't know where they are. I actually don't care where they are. Wherever they're at, they're in this underground tunnel looking for one of those Sith wayfinders, and they come across this giant snake, yeah, uh, or something. And it's there for like five seconds, and they interact with it, and it slithers off. It kind of comes in. There it is, and it's gone. Compare that with a scene like the first. Is it, is it the first episode? The first or second episode where 
the Mandalorian has to go and fight the Mudhorn. Oh yeah, get the yeah. Egg from the the Jawa for the Jawas. Yep. And that thing comes out, and you get this sense of yeah, this is an animal living in a cave. It's been there for a very long time. But you get a sense of it, what it is, and then you have that juxtaposed against this moment where Yo, the baby Yoda, which we're just now getting to know, uh, kind of picks it up with the Force. You know, that whole scene gives a certain sense of awe and and sense of an ecosystem that's alive and that you can kind of get a feel for. And the snake just shows up in the Skywalker and then it's gone again. And what does it do? Why is it there? Like you had no sense of it as a, as an animal. It's just another special effect. that's kind of crawled through. That was not true of the rancor. That wasn't true of the Sarlacc pit even, which didn't really do anything except sit there. These right. things felt like they were part of the environment and you get that even the like creatures that the, that they ride in Star Wars, these little aliens, like the, the Nick Nolte alien who yeah. um, sadly is now not part of that series. The, the Taika Waititi uh, Android, you know, yes. with the guns yep. that, um, that they have, and then they reprogram like that. Those little characters have so much more personality. Uh, again, Scott, Rise of Skywalker, they meet the little guy, Boba Frick, who seems like a cool little character, but then he's there and he's gone. Like right. there's no sense of him as a person. He's just a, he's just a, an ornament. He's just a set decoration. And I think that's the big difference is I can't think of a single, even the moment in the Mandalorian where they're attacked by those flying creatures, you know, in the, in the, uh, I think one of them attacks uh, the Carl Weathers character. Yes. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. And even when those things happen, they're not major characters. There's a sense that all of this has, uh, has relevance to this universe that you're seeing. They don't feel just like set pieces. I'm, in that show felt like a set piece. They felt like they were very, that episode where you have the bounty hunter kind of, or the, where he kind of meets up with that team that almost has a, a, a firefly feel to it. You know what I mean? Where he yes. meets the second group of kind of bounty hunters, all of that, I think works in building and making it feel like a rich world because they take that moment to have it feel like a character, not like a special effect, not like a, a set piece or a plot device. And I think that makes all the difference. And I think if he sticks with that, and I think if he sticks with this basic, he goes back to what Lucas was doing, where he's taking Westerns and samurai pictures, and you have that wolf, that lone wolf and cub feel with him yes. and the little Yoda, if the, the whatever whatever race that is. If we continue to see that develop and that be the, the, the magnetic center of the show with all these characters sort of orienting around it, I think it's going to be something fantastic. I think we're going to look down and say, there's your there's your game of Thrones of the star Wars universe. There's your, you know, there's your baseline for making a larger, richer world. So. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, this has been great, Nathan. Um, you know, nice, uh, nice little bit longer episode here that we have. So the um, they always end up being, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, but Hey, you know, it's, it's great. It was, uh, it was some good content that we, we were able to talk about here again. Let us know what, uh, what episodes or what series you're looking forward to coming out? Was there something, you know, that we mentioned you were like, yeah, that's, that's going to be great. Or, or was there something that we didn't mention? And you're like, Hey guys, I wish you had talked about this. Um, I think and I guarantee if there's one. something out there that we didn't talk about. Oh, absolutely. Because, but take it the way things are this year. I just can't keep track of where everything's at. 
where it's released. I know, I know, and there and there are there are just so many streaming services, and there are so many more streaming services that are coming out. Um, that you know, you and I talk, Nathan. We just we can't you know we can't possibly subscribe to all of them and and be uh, and have access to you know all the content that's there. So, um, but yeah, let us know. Um, don't forget to pop in. If you haven't, uh, shoot some love to us. Give us some reviews on your favorite listening service. Again, it just kind of bumps us up there so people can have access to us a little bit easier when they are when they're doing searches for podcasts. So, yeah. Um, and if you guys want, you can check me out over at the Phantom yes. Galaxy at Podbean.com. Or do have an upcoming episode uh, where we kind of do a deep dive over there about 2001. Nathan and I are trying to work something out for uh, for the podcast there. And I, and I think it'd be totally fun to do a Halloween crossover again too, maybe yes. uh, between Disco Eleven and and, uh, and Galaxy. So, and and Nathan, did you want to tease our next episode at all? Um, I don't quite yet because I don't know how the timing on everything's going to work <laughs> right. out. We don't so, know when it's yeah. when that will actually be coming up. <clears throat> yes, but. Uh, but we do, uh, Nathan, you and I sat down and we probably spent, you know, 45 minutes to an hour the last time we recorded uh, the, the Two Towers yeah, podcast. Kind of plotting the rest of the year, yeah. I think. So, so we're looking forward to everything that we have coming up and we're looking forward to sharing that with you all. Um, you know, we just don't know when we're going to be able to get all our ducks in a row or, um, you know, to have the people on that we want on and to do all the things that we want to do. So we, you know, what I can definitely tell you is that we are going to be setting up and scheduling another episode that we're going to do on the legend of Korra. So we did the airbender and we're going to have Zach on and his son on Nathan. We're going to get, um, your two children back on and do um, the legend of Korra. I think that was a really fun one and, and enjoyed talking to them about it and getting their perspective on it. So we want to make sure that yeah, we I look forward to it. That'd be fun. They had a good time. Yeah. yeah. I get them to talk less about R rated sci-fi movies. Right. <laughs> scanners. Um, scanners. Just like scanners, dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Too funny. Too funny. Alrighty. Well, until next time, Nathan, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.